uh, I'm your host, Jan Irvin. And everybody's given up their rights pretty much unquestioningly in the last week or so, uh, for the greater good, of course. And that's how it always goes. Glad to have Nathan back again tonight, uh, do part four in our series regarding the trivium. And tonight we're going to be discussing fallacies and rhetoric. And uh, so should be good, and I appreciate everybody's support and donations over the last week. We also did a show with uh, Greg uh, Quinones on, uh, what was that, Sunday night regarding the COVID virus and things like that. Uh, somebody had posted uh, in the comments on one of the videos uh, that what happened to definitions? You and I did discuss definitions last week, and how can you possibly come to any understanding at all when you could possibly be using two different interpretations and uh, we even showed definitions of words up on screen and whatnot in the last show uh, of, of the word feelings or thoughts or emotions they are all closely related in definition but in the in this case the nuance can create total confusion the entire meaning of an argument can change depending on an individual perception and the same thing, term could have a number of different meanings. Uh, and this is discussed always throughout uh, the Trivium research and work. When you study it, uh, you define your terms as you're going. And again, we did discuss uh, briefly for a few minutes last week uh, definitions. So uh, anyway, welcome back, Nathan. Glad to be back. And on that, we discussed um, how people manipulate words, specifically the example we talked about originally and their change means something else now it's right wing bigot or fascism and there's an economic system and <laughs> isn't it crazy things change and you can use words uh, to manipulate people and to manipulate thought okay it shows we are live now so i was just checking the the feed and make, okay. making sure it was up sorry i'm not okay. trying to ignore you but, uh, you know, the one time I, I don't check it, that'll be the time when the feed goes down or something weird happens, you know, so always got to check that thing. But, um, so, uh, yeah, let's just dive right in. You know, we, uh, you've got some graphs we're going to go through. I also want to – let me – somehow that didn't get muted uh, – so I also want to cover some of the basic informal fallacies as well so that we can get an understanding of that and you can go through the process of of what you have to present in your graphs. Oh, you know what? They can only hear me. Good thing uh, somebody's posted that. So you know what I did? Sorry, folks. I forgot to put on my headphones, and so they can only hear me. Just a second. Now they can hear you. You can go ahead and talk while I'm putting on my headphones because now they okay. should be able to hear you, Nathan. Good, good. Um, I don't know what to talk about yet. <laughs> you there? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, good. Always something, man. You know, it's like you think you got everything set, you got the lights, you got everything going. And uh, got the hat my son got me for my birthday. 
nice. and I forgot the headphones. You know, it's like, jeez, <laughs> always got to be something I forget. All right, so hopefully you all can hear us both now. But uh, anyway, I kind of pass it over to you, and we lost you there for a second. I didn't have much to say <laughs> until we get on a roll. All right, so uh, which what do you want to dive into first? You want to just dive into the informal yeah, fallacies. Fa- informal fallacies yeah. first? All right, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go to uh, my other website, triviumeducation.com, for those of you who want to follow along here. Um, on the Trivium Education website under Trivium, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, it says some fallacies. We have a list of fallacies here. This is from uh, Dr. Michael Abozier, whom I had on the show about a decade ago. Uh, he does have a very liberal slant to a lot of these fallacies, or he uses liberal fallacies within the fallacies, I should say. But um, we can still use the meaning and whatnot uh, to grasp the... Um, the meaning of, of the fallacies in the general direction. Just look out for the uh, libertine fallacy in these. You know, so uh, we can start off. The most obvious uh, handful that people uh, generally use are ad hominem, which means against the man or against the person. And ad hominem is a general category of fallacies in which a claim or argument is rejected on the basis of some irrelevant fact about the author of or the person presenting the claim or argument. Typically, this fallacy involves two steps. First, attacking an attack against the character of the person making the claim, his or her circumstances or her actions is made, or the character, circumstances, or actions of the person reporting the claim. Second, this attack is taken to be evidence against the claim or argument the person in question is making or presenting. This type of argument has the following form. Person A makes claim X. Person B makes an attack on claim A. Therefore, claim A is false. So if uh, I say, if I make an argument, Nathan says, Jan wears pink shirts on Fridays. (laughs) Therefore, (laughs) I do not, actually. See, And it doesn't matter if the statement is true or false. So it's good that you brought that up. See, I'm touching my face to get everybody upset on the COVID thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you got to go wash your hands in your face right now. But, um, you know, so if uh, you make a claim against the person, that whether the claim is true or not, you know, it could be – you know, Jan is Danish and Welsh. Jan is a Christian, therefore anything he says is wrong. Uh, those are all ad hominem attacks. You're I, not. Go ahead. I, I would like to add that there's it's uh, attacking personality. It's your personhood, your personality. So it could be really anything. Um, it could be attacking your education. It could be uh, just that sometimes you can even just feel the tone right. in somebody statements where they're just coming off aggressively and they're attacking you as a person, your personality. Um, I actually have a couple quotes on this too, that are really good. Sure. I, whenever sure. somebody shares, uh, whenever somebody starts using ad hominems, if, if I'm going through an argument and I see somebody using an ad hominem against somebody else and I'm not even involved, I'll just share the meme 
with, you know, tag the person. Uh, one side is from uh, Charles R. Anderson. You want to show it on? You want to show it on screen? Yeah, sure. Can you All see right. it? Uh, yep. Yep. We're there. So uh, observe which side resorts to the most vociferous name calling, and you are likely to have identified the side with a weaker argument, and they know it. That really pisses people off. I mean, <laughs> I use that specifically against when I see somebody using an ad hominem either against me or somebody else. And I'll throw that up there because uh, it instantly, you know, it's not just saying, oh, you're using an ad, ad hominem. It's, it's actually saying you have the weaker argument and that's why you're doing this. Right. Well, you know, and what happens is you'll have, uh, you know, somebody will say, well, you know, you're an asshole or you're, uh, you're, you're, What's the word? Not confident. You're you're so arrogant. You're so sure of your research on this, you know. And rather than attacking the research and showing how it's wrong, it's the oh yeah, well, you're arrogant. You're attacking the personality. Now I had somebody just yesterday, you know, and I was getting into an email exchange for him, and he's like, oh, you're so confident in your research on MK Ultra. I'm like, well, why don't you just read it and show me how it's wrong, you know? And he couldn't make up any valid arguments. So then he started attacking the trivium and saying, "Are you a trinitarian Christian? Is that why you're, you know, using the trivium?" That's a red herring, right? Right. Uh red herring and uh, it would also fall under uh ad hominem, but it's, you know, it's okay, so fallacies fall under three categories of relevance presumption and ambiguity. So one, he's bringing up something irrelevant, and two, he's making a presumption. And it's neither of these have any relevance to the information presented. So what he's trying to do is, is attack the trivium, and I broke it down for him. It's basically who, what, where, when, why, and how. And rather than understanding that it's the core of, of, of or the foundation of all logical, processed knowledge, he tried to attack it and then create a pigeonhole. And I see this sort of pigeonholing, and you can see the pigeonhole coming from a mile away. You know, you present information, and then what they'll do is say, oh, well, are you a... You flat know, earther. Flat earther. Are you... Uh, I get that a lot, actually. Yeah. and Because I'm, so, I'm uh, anti-vaccine because I, I see an agenda, especially behind mandatory vaccines. Correct. And it's like, oh, I guess you're a flat earther, too, and you deny climate change. It's like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. And, you know, yeah, and never mind that CO2 is the foundation of all life, but, you know, never mind any facts yeah, or yeah. science, you know, and it's like... Well, but it's, it's oh, irrelevant but, to the but, discussion of vaccines. But you know what? Right before the show, Nathan, I did see you take off your 10 hat I, I did I didn't want anybody <laughs> to see it <laughs> so you know and to that point uh just before the show I posted up this for and I've been discussing this I was on Catalina Island a few years ago and they were using this to control the uh bison population I posted a couple months ago about them using this to control the deer population but for those of you who still don't get it, let's just show you this article. Vaccines for Immunological Control of Fertility. There it is right there. It's for eugenics. And, and, and when 
Our dear Bill Gates was on TED Talks talking about using vaccines to control the population. How do you think he was proposing to do that? So this is an academic article. You can look it up there. And uh, published the 1st of December 2009. So this is not new information. Anybody can look this stuff up. But you can, you know, go through and start to see these things. And, and, you know, and never mind that things like autism used to be like 1 in 1,500. And now it's, I think, down to 1 in 27. And it affects boys far far more than girls. Because of testosterone. And this is because of vaccines. I interviewed years ago Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who was involved in that huge case in England and lost his medical license over it. I went through that case top to bottom. He had it slam dunk, but of course there's an agenda behind promoting this stuff. And I interviewed April a few years ago about uh, vaccines, etc. You know, years ago I also interviewed um, Dr. Peter Duesberg, one of the world's leading virologists and the discoverer of quote-unquote AIDS, and he flat out told me off the air that the AIDS thing was a complete fraud. But, you know, so there is a lot of evidence. So are you using ad hominems? Oh, you're a flat earther. And that's also the uh, appeal to ridicule. Which we yes, covered. and which I wanted to actually show that. I'm going to show Yeah, well, and I, I was just... I was just showing that on screen here as well, but that's the horse left. (laughs) Oh, Nathan, you're wrong because, well, I just laughed. And that's, oh, there you go. I have Saul Linsky's book sitting out over there. I've been wanting to do a show on that, by the way. (laughs) Rule five, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. There is no defense. It's irrational. It's infuriating. It also works as a key pressure point to force the enemy into concessions. And this is, this is important to realize, embedded into the virus, the mental virus of leftism, is... <laughs> this, I'm going to let you keep idea. talking while I go grab that. Okay. I- embedded into the mental virus that is leftism is the idea that we, we have to, or they have to, uh, ridicule and, and use ad hominems. Ad hominems and not being rational and wanting to be irrational. And so they're going to get you running in circles. And this is actually a key trait of narcissism. Uh, what they call it jading. They get you to jade. A narcissist always gets you to jade. They attack and then they get all victimhood when you defend yourself. They're like, oh, I'm a victim. And uh, then they play it up really bad and they get you to justify, argue, defend, and explain yourself. And they get you going in circles using the circular reasoning. And they never admit that they actually started the thing by attacking you and ridiculing you. And then they play the victim when you defend yourself against that. Yep. And it's, it's really, it's irrational and they admit it's irrational and you cannot hold a rational conversation with somebody where ingrained into their, into their ideology is the desire to be irrational. Yeah. If you want to pull that off uh, screen there, but yeah, you know, and you'll see this all of the time with the trolls and whatnot, you know, that's, that's their modus operandi. And you see this with the left constantly. In fact, radicalism is the foundation of communism. So, you know, what does Saul Alinsky open his book with? Do you know? Have you read his book? I, I, uh, I haven't in a while, but uh, I remember you talking about it also. Yeah, so, uh, and this is right from the uh, opening page here. 
least we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all our legends, mythology, and history, and who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. Wow. Saul Alinsky, right there. So, you know, that's uh, this this bottom one right here. So, you know, they're admitting that radicalism is Satanism. They're admitting, you know, and you see these guys, these leftists use this to promote communism and socialism and, uh, you know, groupthink, uh, uh, Control by consensus Mm -hmm. rather than facts and thinking, right? So last week we even saw Governor Nuisance of of California come out and say that they were going to use uh, social shaming to get people to be under house arrest. You know, that's government by consensus. So they're bringing in the communist Chinese tactics to, uh, you know, to control the, the herd, so to speak. Well, and that's that's the appeal to emotion, right? So you know, and and we see these guys, uh, you know, the GDL people, all of the, you know, we see, uh, you know, people like Jesse Slops doing it, and you know, all all of the GDL people I see do this this stuff constantly. I think they probably read this this book as they, you know, as their uh, like their their guidebook, their lesson. Well, book. as a logocentric philosopher, it's really important, you know, for us to be um, focusing on principles and being principled. And uh, for them, it's the opposite. The, their right. principles are a lack of principles. It's well, an inversion. And, and, and they'll admit that it's that the, that it's the Cartman Triangle, and then they'll turn around and use it against you. Yeah. You know that's that's the the crazy thing. So let's get into some more of these uh, fallacies. So. Um, here is the appeal to ridicule fallacy. And so an appeal to ridicule is a fallacy in which ridicule or mockery is substituted as evidence in an argument. This line of reasoning has the following form. X, which is some form of ridicule, is presented, typically directed at the claim. Therefore, claim C is false. This sort of reasoning is fallacious because mocking a claim does not show that it is false. This is especially clear when the following example, one plus one equals two, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. But basically it's, you're wrong because ha, 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 ha. And I see that kind of stuff go on so often it's ridiculous. It's probably, I might add, Nathan, the most common fallacy that I see used. Would you agree with that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, especially since it's kind of built into leftism, and at least by leftists, it's used the most. Now, another thing, you know, if you can call somebody an idiot or a robber or whatever, and they'll say, well, you're using an ad hominem, you know, going back to ad hominem, that's not actually an ad hominem attack. And to be clear, an ad hominem attack is if I say, Nathan, you're a moron, therefore you're wrong. Right. You know? Therefore, your argument is is debunked. I'm, you know, 
if I'm presenting an argument and you're using all your rules for radical tactics and I say, look, you fool, you know, mm -hmm. here's why you're wrong, that's not an ad hominem attack. An ad hominem right. attack is if I say, you're a fool, therefore you're wrong, full stop, no evidence. Right. So The evidence is you're a fool. Right. The evidence is you're a fool. And so people will will people who don't know logic will actually try to claim or who want to misuse logic or will try to claim that that's actually an ad hominem attack when it is not. So an appeal to authority is a very common one that I see all the time. Actually, that was the next one I wanted to actually talk about, too, because you're seeing it a lot right now. The media and, and it's actually used a lot in conjunction with. Um, Hitler's big lie or the uh, assertion fallacy, proof by assertion fallacy, because all the official, you know, government and media kind of sources in the, you know, the AMA, which is a monopoly on medical, they're all saying the same thing. You know, they're all asserting the same thing. And that's they're all these authorities are asserting the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And if the authorities keep saying it, it must be true, especially since it's in unison, right? Bernard C. says, people are incredibly stupid. I agree, Bernard. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, speaking of the guy that uh, uh, that I was just talking about who was going off on all these tactics yesterday in this long email exchange, uh, he just emailed again. He's still trying to find some pigeonhole, I presume. Uh, so let's go, uh, you know, so anyway... Uh, it's the, the proper name of the appeal to authority is the advericunium fallacy. It's the appeal to the person in the white coat. They're an authority because they have a white coat. And, you know, sometimes people can be in a, a legitimate authority. Like, you know, if you've spent years studying logical philosophy and rhetoric, you know, Socratic rhetoric and all of this stuff, you're probably an expert in it. And it's probably a valid reason to appeal to it, but you also have to be able to explain the details and why. And yes, substantiate your arguments. And then when I go and fact check your arguments, they should check out, you yeah. know? So it's not because I say you're an authority, it's because I've fact checked your evidence and you can substantiate that you're an authority. Same with me on MKUltra or whatever the case may be. I can substantiate my arguments. Therefore, they're valid and they're, they'll be valid until you, using the onus of proof, can disprove them. Now, you know, and the onus of proof is such a big thing for people to grasp in logic. If I make a claim... What kind of fallacy is a burden of proof? You know... Does it fall under a, fa of a fallacious category? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't think it is a category. It's part of the foundation of argument. But and then you and then its opposite is arguing the arbitrary. And I kind of explained this a little bit last week. But if I make a claim, the onus of proof is on me to substantiate that. If I say UFOs and aliens exist. I have to be sub able to substantiate that. I, I can't point to some other authority and say, well, here's proof. And, you know, that authority has, you know, David Icke has a book. And, of course, David Icke doesn't have any photographs and blah, blah, blah. And he, he, is, he cites the Disclosure Project, which is a CIA front, et cetera, that I've covered in the past. But, 
you have to be able to prove through primary citations that UFOs and aliens are real. You know, and, uh, you know, oh, well, we didn't come, you know, from Logos. We came from aliens. And this is a sort of a passing the buck type of thing. But the the uh, appeal to authority has to be a valid subject uh, or a valid person who can substantiate through primary research those claims. And also, folks, it's best to understand the English and the Latin words uh, of the fallacies. So if we say appeal to authority properly, it's the ad veracunium fallacy. So just to show it there on screen, ad veracunium. So a fallacious appeal to authority, misuse of authority, irrelevant authority, questionable authority, inappropriate authority, or ad veracunium. And so this fallacy is committed when the person in question is not a legitimate authority on the subject. More formally, if person A is not qualified to make reliable claims in subject S, then the argument will be fallacious. And again, I think we also have to be careful. Like, let's say a lot of doctors, all the doctors agree that coronavirus is is bad and all the doctors agree that, um, you know, vaccines are good. And, you know, they we, we have to be careful with just because somebody is an authority doesn't mean that they're actually Correct. not buying. They could be paid off, and we have to we have to at least be aware that some of these quote authorities could be uh, biased in some way and have bias. So just because they might be an authority in you know immunology or whatever, that doesn't mean that they also we ha- we have to try to understand why they came to the, or how they came to their their conclusions because Correct. they could be biased as well. So now. So- to your excuse me to your point let's say let's use professor carl ruck as an example he was on the very first episode i ever did and he was on at least one other time uh and he is an authority on psychedelic drugs he literally created the word entheogen but when I spent heavy time investigating, like through my article in Theogen's What's in a Name, I discovered that the entire foundational premises for his arguments were completely made up and fraudulent. And so looking into Professor Carl Ruck's background, and here he is up on screen here, he was working with R. Gordon Wasson, who just so happened to be in charge of MKUltra Subproject 58. And when we understand in Sufism and Gnosticism, they have the outer and the inner God, we can understand what Karl Ruck's uh, neologism um, in Theogen, generating the God within, actually means. So there's the inner and the outer God in the perennial philosophy or left-hand path philosophies. And so then we can begin to understand how Karl Ruck, this supposed authority on entheogens, is intentionally misleading people and working with, you know, the CIA on uh, this type of program. So he would be a false authority. Or if somebody wants to appeal to, you know, Gordon Wasson, the so-called founder of or discoverer of magic mushrooms, he would be a false authority. He manufactured the evidence to sell people. He was actually, and you and I are going to get into this more as we go here, uh, but he was a he was the propaganda manager for J.P. Morgan Bank, or vice president in charge of propaganda. 
And so he was intentionally manipulating the public to sell this agenda to kids to get them drugged out and, and whatnot and funded to do so. And, of course, I've spent years uh, exposing that agenda for those who want to dig into that on the website. But, you know, so this is a false appeal to, you know, Gordon Wasson or Karl Ruck as an authority on these subjects. And when you go in and check their citations, do they check out? You know, and we can't just read as, and, and you and I covered last week, firsthand or primary, secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand citations. Right. So if Karl Ruck makes a claim and, you know, and you say, well, you know, he's the professor of, of Greek and, and whatever at Boston University, that doesn't mean his claims are valid. You have to go in and then verify his claims to the primary citations. And if his claims don't check out or if you see him fudging and twitching, twisting things, twitching things, right. as I did... It can uh, get it can get really difficult with some people because they're masterful, they're skillful in their manipulative ability. Right, and and one of the first things that you discover when investigating a an authority, if they are legitimate or not, is you will come across a and there's a proper term for it which I forget, but they they use a circle jerk, and. Mm -hmm. You know, never mind, you know, that's not appealing to Karl Ruck's sexual orientation. It's just the easiest way to describe it, um, which happens to coincide. But so what you see is this professor cites this professor cites this professor cites this professor and back to the first one. And then when you start going in trying to check their primary citations, they're all citing each other. And then right. when you find the primary citations, they're actually f misquoting the primary citations or, you know, intentionally taking them out of context. Mm. So they're creating a, an echo chamber with their citations, basically. Correct. Now, I wish I had... Uh, I wish I had written down the proper name of that fallacy and I've only heard it once or twice but yeah there's a literal name for that fallacy when they do that circle jerk type of uh, behavior I'd like to talk about the burden of proof a little bit more because yeah, yeah, yeah for sure flipping it is a really big issue and a real big problem uh, it is. so, it so they put the onus of per proof on the wrong person right so let's say the the you know it's you, you have to prove your innocence rather than your guilt. Correct. Right? You know, it's like we're, we're, instead of the, the prosecution having to proving, you know, your guilt, you now have to prove your innocence. And why is that so important, Nathan? Uh, <laughs> can you elaborate your question, please? Okay, so I'll, I'll answer my own question. I'll take okay. you off the hot seat there. Sorry. Um, so the reason why that is important is because you cannot prove a negative. Okay. Oh, okay. So whoever, whomever is making the claim has to present the evidence of that claim beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, for instance, using the trivium, to have certainty. And so the reason why it's always on the prosec um, prosecutor's team to prove you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, unless you live in a communist-type country, is because... You cannot logically prove a negative. I cannot prove that I did not do something. Uh, you have to prove that I did it. Right. 
and, and this is this is actually really big on the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Um, what's going on is is we're not getting all the information, and uh, a lot of the information is partial. Um, we it's hard to check citations. You go to the finding information on the WHO's website or the CDC's website, or um, it, it's just it's all very difficult. And then they're making all these uh, actions based on that, and they haven't proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is a problem. And they haven't proven that their solutions are actually effective uh, to the problem. So, like, we're going to strip your civil liberties because of all this, you know, data. And uh, okay, well, what is the data? And prove that your solutions are actually relevant to the data. And oh, well, not doing either of those. But we have this appeal to these authorities, right? And that's all it is: is the CDC and the WHO say. Well, and, and, and the uh, who, the WHO say <laughs> the the WHO say. And, uh, you know, and then you get involved in this circle jerk type situation. Right. The CDC know. references the who and the who references the CDC. Right. Exactly. And the yeah. And back and, and forth. And all these bodies and these bodies, there's tons of bodies. And so what is the opposite of failing the onus of proof? And we did touch on this last week. It is the arguing the arbitrary. OK, so I make a claim, but I cannot support my own claim. And so if, if I don't fulfill the onus of proof, and the onus of proof means the burden of proof, if, if I don't fulfill the burden of proof regarding my own claim, then it falls to arguing the arbitrary, and it can be the whole argument can be dismissed by default. Right. So you have to, is, you have to prove it beyond doing? doubt. Is that what the CDC and the WHO and this whole pandemic and the governments are doing? It could be. Uh, so let me show the audience this. Somebody just uh, sent me this a little bit ago. And this is on, uh, on Facebook. Uh, so here we see from March 19th, 2020, COVID-19 is no longer considered to be a high-consequence infectious disease in the UK. Okay, so, and then this is off of their, the UK's uh, national whatever website. And then uh, Four Nations Public Health HCID group made an interim recommendation in January 2020 classified COVID-19 as an HCID this was based on consideration of the UK HCID criteria about the virus and the disease with information available during the early stages of the outbreak. Now that more is known about COVID-19, the public health bodies in the UK have reviewed, reviewed the most up-to-date information about COVID-19 against the UK HCID criteria. They have determined that several features have now changed. In particular, more information is available about mortality rates. Uh, now, overall, there is now greater clinical awareness and specific and sensitive laboratory test. And then blah, blah, blah. Let me see here. And then uh, today, and this guy just sent me this, Government UK Alert. Coronavirus, new rules in force now. You must stay at home. So they ruled three days or five days ago on the 19th that it's no longer a threat but they're ordering everybody to stay home. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason. Right. So, a, you know, there is an authoritarian rhyme and reason. Correct. You know, welcome to the, the, the brave new world or the new world order. 
And so, uh, and here's the criteria of the UK government's uh, infectious diseases. And, you know, people can look this up online and, and read through all of this. No longer mandated treatment, you know, so no longer considered a high consequence. So this is right off of the UK government's guidance uh, website. It's no longer considered to be a high consequence in the UK. And then after that, they issued house arrest orders. And then after that, today, today, house arrest orders. So, you know, what's going on there, you know? And, and so people are just, you know, succumbing to this stuff. And, you know, I see my cousin just, oh, you know, if you don't stay indoors, you're just prolonging the entire thing. And, you know, I posted earlier today, I think, yeah, I see your name on it. Um, <laughs> the new world order has fully arrived. Nearly er everyone has accepted it unquestioningly. There are no more conspiracy theorists. And, uh, you know, it's literally, in my opinion, at this point, what it is. I mean, everybody around the world simultaneously gave up all freedoms and submitted to the greatest tyranny that we have ever seen in our lives. And you sent me a comment earlier today about family members saying that this was what it was like under Nazi occupation. Yep. Yes. I have a family member, uh, here in Belgium and, uh, she remarked that this is what it felt like. This is, you know, all the, the travel restrictions, um, getting pulled over. If you're caught, you know, traveling, if you're in a group of more than a certain amount of people, um, all these things she says is reminiscent of what it was like under Nazi occupation. So uh, it, it's not a good feeling for her. Um, and I think everybody else is just too stupid to realize what's happening yet. Yeah. Well, well yet. said. Yet. 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 And, you know, I think it's, they're probably going to do a mass kill off. And, and, and by the way, we have been um, at least in Holland. I don't know if about us, but I think it's here too. Uh, it's, we're under house arrest until June. June 1st is the date that they gave us. It's like, what? And, and it's an arbitra arbitrary date, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it, it, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. And, you know, here's, as we discussed before, there are no contradictions in nature. A contradiction is always a lie or an error. So why is the, the UK government saying that COVID-19 is no longer a threat? You're on house arrest. That's a contradiction. Right. And, and I've talked to people in different hospitals um, one is somebody in Oklahoma, another in the UK, and they've, uh, they heard of one in the UK, they heard of one patient, one coronavirus patient, possibly in Cambridge. And, uh, in, at their hospital, they haven't had any, but they're they're They shut down all the elective surgeries just in case, right? Just in case they haven't even had a case. And there's an 80%, 75 to 80% false positive for the test. When somebody t tests positive for the for coronavirus, th there's a scientific study on it, 75 to 80% false positive. That means only 20% of the time is it actually, do they really have it? So did you send me that? Where was that? I did. Okay, okay. I so it. here it is. I'm going to show that on screen here as well. Oh, too many windows. All right. <laughs> It's like, close that window, that window, that window, that window. Here we go. 
So here we go. Potential false positive rate among the asymptomatic infected individuals in close contacts of COVID-19 patients. And so, uh, you know, uh, 19.67 in contrast, the false positive rate results in an 80.33%. The uh, multivirate probabilistic sensitivity analysis results support, supported the base uh, case findings with a 75% probability for the false positive rate uh, of positive results over 47%. So, you know, what do you say? <laughs> so I have a good friend of mine who's a doctor, and uh, she just found out yesterday or day before that they are putting her basically in charge or she's been reassigned to the uh, COVID-19 center for our area, you know. So it's like, you know, we're, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe they're going to go poison some a bunch of people in the next week or two, you know. I just touch my face yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! So this is uh, this brings up another really good one. Uh, correlation does not imply causation. Correct. Um, which is a it's connected to a questionable cause logical fallacy. Yeah. Well, you want to? Why don't we stick with the A's before we get down to the the down there oh we're doing we're doing it in uh, might as well it's just easier do you mind no 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 let's go for it all right so you know one of the most common and i think we should just cover the most common fallacies because you know they're the most common so um and if you you know folks i recommend everybody also memorizing the most common logical fallacies so that way uh you're able to protect yourselves you know it's basically like mental jujitsu for you know, uh, learning the trivium and learning the fallacies. And, and when you memorize the fallacies, after about six to eight weeks, the first thing you're going to recognize is that you start catching the fallacies in your own thoughts. And yeah. then you start catching them in what other people are telling you. So uh, let's go to, actually, you just said common practice or no, or questionable cause. Uh, so this is a common uh, practice fallacy. X is a common action, therefore X is correct, moral, justified, reasonable. Okay, so it's a common practice to quarantine everybody and tell everybody they have to stay home because of COVID-19. But is it justified, reasonable, correct, etc.? And we can we can discuss the the moral argument later, which you're going to go into. But uh, the basic idea behind the fallacy is that the fact that most people do X is used as evidence to support the action or the practice. It is a fallacy because the mere fact that most people do something does not make it correct, moral, justified, or reasonable. Or to right. put it simply, uh, most importantly, true. So it's, it's a, almost going into the bandwagon. Yeah. Dealing with the bandwagon effect. Right. And then one of the most, you know, common fallacies is the appeal to emotion fallacy. The left, oh boy. Yeah. The left really, really works the, the appeal to emotion fallacies. And uh, the, favorable, the, favorable emotions are associated with X. Therefore, X is true. What were you going to say? The appeal to pity. Uh, the appeal to pity. P Think oh. of the children 
made think of the children i got the world's smallest violin here (laughs) and and they really play appeal to pity up when it comes to um like school shootings and things like right you know and like a syrian refugee that washed up on the beach which was actually just beat by some syrian refugees i I can't remember how that happened right well you know so meanwhile meanwhile the left will also okay we have to ban guns to protect the children um Mm -hmm. it's my right to murder my child right you know I, I can have an abortion. I can have a post-birth abortion, you know. I can leave my baby lying there on the table for an hour or two and watch it die post-birth because, you know, it's it's my right to murder. And in the next breath, they'll say, yeah, well, we need gun control to protect the children. But, you know, it's the best way to protect children from gun, from gun violence or from gun accidents is to teach children properly how to use firearms. You know, my son won his first shooting competition when he was 11 years old, you know. So it's, you know, it's like, okay, instead of using fear, how about we use proper education? So um, and then appeal to pity is one of the next ones on here. Appeal to flattery is another one. Oh, you're so beautiful. Yeah. You know, uh, car salesmen love the appeal to flattery uh, fallacies. Um, person A is flattered the, by person B. Person, hypocrisy. what's that? Appeal. To I, I, I'm losing you there. Appeal to you, 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 you. cut out there for a second. Yeah, I lost. Can you hear me now? You're you're slowly coming back, but you're you're definitely frozen there for a second. Appeal. Are you there? You are now. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you now. Okay. The appeal to hypocrisy. Yeah, you are frozen again, but I did hear you. Yes, well, I was just going to do the appeal to flattery here, you know. But uh, let's see. I don't have appeal to hypocrisy on my list. You are yeah, Appeal to hypocrisy is, uh, um, you know, when you point out somebody's hypocrisy as your reason for them being wrong. Right. Oh, you're a hypocrite because you do this. Correct. And um, that itself is not, I mean, hypocrisy is wrong. I mean, it, if, if that is actually what's happening, but it's not the reason they're wrong. Correct. So pointing out hypocrisy is fine, but if it's the argument, then it's not. And the appeal to novelty, because something is new, it's therefore correct or better. Oh, well, you know, that practice has been going on since the 1800s, so therefore it's no longer... You see this a lot with new age. Yeah. Uh, new, go actually... new age novelty? What? um well they it's there's one with uh you know because it was old and how they used to do it then that's better or because it's new then it's better so you see it going both ways one is novelty one is uh, appeal to history i guess yeah well you know if you know because christianity is so old and is based on logos and truth Therefore, it's wrong. So we have to use our new age religion. It's so much better, you know, right? because it's new, you know, because it was made up by people at the CIA. And who was the guy we say I told you earlier created the new age movement? Now I forget. Well, Tedford was in did uh, Course in Miracles, and that was very Um, much. That wasn't who I was thinking. Who was it? Ah. Matt, we were discussing Maslow and some of those other guys earlier today. Oh, yeah. 
Jeremy Rifkin. Here's all the people that created the New Age movement. Uh, Frankfurt School, Helena Blavatsky, Jeremy Rifkin, Michael Harner, Terrence McKenna, the Esalen Institute, uh, Emanuel Swedenborg was behind a lot of it, Abraham Maslow, who is a big MKUltra guy, um, all these guys, Aldous Huxley, of course, Carlos Castaneda, one of the biggest frauds ever. His cult ended in mass murder, just like the Jonestown cult by Jimmy Jones or the uh, the UFO cult, uh, what was it, Gate? Uh, now I'm forgetting uh, Gate. What, the Gate? The gate. Heaven's Gate. Heaven's, Heaven's gate. gate. Thank you. Whew. I hate that. Interesting enough, uh, David Icke quotes uh, Castaneda a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, here, well, David Icke. Sorry, you know, <laughs> I've I've got this database here. So David Icke is a big anti anti Annie Besant uh, promoter, and he was probably friends with Jimmy Seville. I have here her Savile. But let's go up to Annie Besant. She's a Fabian socialist, and she was tied to Aldous Huxley. Of course, you can go no conspiracy without a Huxley family member being involved. She created Theosophy behind the Theosophical Society. She was behind the pr promotion of vegetarianism, which, of course, I've pr uh, exposed for years is um, uh, eugenics and then uh, the New Age movement here. So we were just on the New Age movement. So we're right back at it. We didn't even have to go a click there. <laughs> All right, so let's. Uh, we you just did appeal to pity. It's like, oh, you know, P is wrong with the intent to create. Uh, P is presented with the intent to create pity, therefore claims C is wrong. Well, oh my God, it's just it hurts me when you say that. It cannot be true. Oh my God. <laughs> my best liberal snowflake voice. Appeal to popularity. Um, most people, we kind of already covered that. Most people approve of X, a, therefore it's true. Appeal to popularity is the bandwagon fallacy. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Argumentum ad populum. Well, and then we have the bandwagon fallacy here. It's a uh, person P is pressured by his or her peers or threatened with rejection, therefore P's claim is false. So wow. that's the bandwagon fallacy. Okay. So it's very, it's very close, though. They're in the same little tight knit group appeal tradition appeal to tra tradition it's always which is the appeal to tra tradition is the exact antithesis of appeal to novelty because right. it's older therefore it's correct or better you know right i i see that a lot with uh, goddess worship they're going back to the different goddesses and stuff like that and well back this is how they used to do it with the 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 moon blood and the the yoni blood and that kind of thing and right. so because they did it like that back then it must be good and that's how we should go back but that's that's like kind of um, in many ways you're you're going backwards in uh, evolution, right? You're devolving when you do that. Well, that's what they want. It's called the native revival or the archaic revival, as Terence McKenna called it. So that is to bring back uh, the the you know uh, because shamans did drugs in the past that was the true original form of religion so therefore we all need to be high to experience <laughs> god you know so you know you just got to do some mushrooms and smoke a joint man you know and then you find out that the entire foundation of the mushrooms 
as I've been exposing in this article that I've been working on. I guess that's one good thing that comes out of it. You know, watch, they'll end the quarantine tomorrow because I said I was going to expose this. But Flesh of the Gods, Teonanicotl, and the Aztec Mushroom Death Cult. And when you go through the actual research, you discover that it was all about uh, preparing their victims to, or for human sacrifice. You know, so of course, you know, Terrence McKenna and the Stoned Ape Theory, and then Joe Rogan promoted all that crap. But, um, you know, that's, and then Terrence McKenna, the whole appeal to novelty and, uh, uh, or well, he appealed to novelty and he appealed to the archaic revival. So he kind of, you know, oh, well, you yeah, know, they, they do ha- habit, play. habit, and no- he created the habit and novelty theory and then the archaic revival. So novelty is good it's better it's new and we got to go back to the old so a contradiction is always a liar and error um covered appeal to ridicule appeal to spite so uh, claim c is presented with the intent of generating spite therefore claim c is false or true the appeal to spite fallacy is a fallacy in which spite is substituted for evidence when an argument is made against a claim. So this sort of reasoning is fallacious because the feeling of spite does not count as evidence for or against a claim. This is quite clear in the following case. Bill claims that the earth revolves around the sun, but remember that dirty trick he pulled on you last week. <laughs> now, doesn't my claim that the sun revolves around the earth make sense to you? You know. Um, begging the question fallacy that's a good one begging the question fallacy and uh, circular reasoning you know so the you know or petitio principi begging the question fallacy is a fallacy in which the premises include a claim that the conclusion is true or, direct, or directly or indirectly assume that the conclusion is true. This sort of reasoning typically has the following form. Premises in which the truth of a conclusion is claimed or the truth of the conclusion is assumed, either directly or indirectly. Claim C, the conclusion, is true. And then he, you know, Michael Lavozier uses an argument from the Bible. God must, of course, you know, he's a liberal professor, and he's doesn't get that it's actually based on logic or logos. But, you know, God must exist. How do you know? Because the Bible said so. Why should I believe the Bible? Because the Bible was written by God. Actually, the Bible wasn't written by God. Every chapter in the Bible is written, is titled by the author. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Religious people do make this a lot, um, but it's not necessarily a knock on the religion. It's a knock on their understanding. Correct. Because they have poor logic and they were trained poorly in logic in schools and because of that then they go to church and then they they take their poor logic from school and they use it and you know at church when, and if and if they actually followed it closely they would realize that the bible is actually especially the new testament is actually quite logical oh. and and then once you understand that it's oops, i just uh, once you understand Logos and that it's based on understanding truth is God and Logos, logic, reason, etc., then it makes clear sense. But you have to grasp that that uh, God is Logos or truth or reason 
before you can understand, okay, well, God must exist. How do you know? Because the Bible says so. Well, no, the Bible is just giving you an explanation of Logos and how it works and and different ways that it plays out in your life. And so when once you grasp what Logos is, you can understand how the writers of the Bible wrote it. You know, because if if you're living in Logos, you can play out what happens in truth versus what happens in lies. And so then you can forecast these are the worst things that are going to happen, and it becomes predictive. And and these are you know the, the best things that can happen if you stay living in truth. You can have a strong family, strong culture, etc. Versus if you're living in in lies and living in iniquity and doing all this degenerate behavior, you're going to wipe out. So that's how the Bible becomes so uh, you know like predictive, so to speak. All right, you no no sleepy hour. It's not your bedtime yet. It's yeah, only it's, it's uh, only it's like about, two a.m. there. So you know, well, stop. Well, it's two a.m. <laughs> it's catching up with me. All right, here now we're to begging the question. Or no, we just did begging the question. Buy a sample is uh, you know buy a sample is a fallacy committed when a person draws a conclusion about a population based on a sample that is biased or prejudiced in some manner it has the following form sample s which is biased is taken from population p conclusion c is drawn about population p based upon s so the commercial uh, the person committing this fallacy is used when the following uh, use is misusing the following type of reasoning which is known variously as indicative generalization generalization or statistical generalization uh, X percent of all observed A's are B's, therefore X percent of all A's are B's. This fallacy is committed when the sample of A is likely to be biased in some manner and sample B is loaded when the method used to take the sample is likely to result in a sample that does not adequately represent the population from which it is drawn. So it's uh, very much uh, cherry picking. Correct. False dilemma, gambler's fallacy, genetic fallacy. Genetic fallacy is one I see a lot. Well, it's actually uh, the exact opposite, isn't it? Um, eh, not really. Go ahead. Jump yeah, ahead. genetic fallacy, I see that a lot. Um, where did I see it? Oh, uh, that was taken from CNN, or um, Hitler said that, or that was Goebbels that said that. or I, I don't know. I mean, it's just like you go through different... Um, uh, things, uh, and you, you, you trace it back to, um, I, I don't know, like MSM said it, uh, oh, that was Fox news that said that. Um, and I'm not saying that they're not propaganda outlets. I'm not saying that, you know, they, they don't have bad things, but you can't just say that it's, it's false because they said it. Correct. But I do see it a lot. Genetic. Let me, let me go to the I have that actually here. All right. Uh, genetic fallacy based solely on someone or something's history, origin, or source rather than its current meaning or context. It overlooks any difference to be found in the present situation, typically transferring the positive or negative esteem from the earlier context. In other words, a fact is ignored in favor of attacking its source. So you're not attacking the argument, you're attacking the source of the argument. Middle ground fallacy. That's a really good one. I like that one. All right. So 
this is a politician's favorite. The golden mean fallacy or fallacy of moderation. This is the, uh, okay, so you have truth on one side. You've investigated it. You know that you have the truth here. And then you have the lie over here. And then somebody, a politician, whomever, comes along and says, you know, can't we just get along and, you know, here the solution is right in the middle. So you already know that the absolute truth is here. You've spent the time to investigate it, and you know that this is a lie over here. And the politician is going to set up the, the middle position. And so then what you have is a half-truth, which is right. a lie. A lie. Yeah, exactly. Right. So Yeah, I, I see this a lot as well. Um, it totally just escaped me. I think I'm getting sleepy. <laughs> I, I was I had an example in my head. Snap out of it. I know, I know. Uh, where was I going to go with that? Oh, dialectic. So like the, the Marxist dialectics, they love doing this. Um, you know, they, they push real far in one direction and they, they purposely go and then, real, and then reel back halfway. Right, exactly. So they're going to push really far, get you to react to that, and then they're going to offer you a new package that's right. a compromise. Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders. Oh, Joe Biden, the moderate. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's how it goes. Or Green New Deal, Green New Deal, Green New Deal, and then okay, communism light or socialism. Democratic oh, socialism. well, now they just say, oh, COVID nineteen. It doesn't even matter. We implemented the whole thing right in your face anyway, and nobody even caught that. Right. You were so busy worrying about uh, you know, whether it was gonna be Bernie Sanders or right or you know, Trump capitalism versus socialism and we just did it. Right. Poisoning the well fallacy. This sort of reasoning involves trying to discredit what a person might later claim by presenting unfavorable information, be it true or false, about the person. This argument has the following form. Unfavorable information, be it true or false, about person A is presented. Therefore, any claims person A will say is false. You know, Jan Irvin is a Zionist Jew. You know, I'm Danish and Welsh and Christian, but they'll claim I'm a Zionist Jew. Therefore, I'm a shill and sellout. You know, this is like the common idiot argument that you see from these uh, trolls. And so, therefore, anything I say is false. Now, you know, so they start with something false and then use the poisoning the well fallacy. Now, another example of this is, you, let's say you go into a grocery store, into some type of store, and the store owner, the shop owner, you ask him the price of something, and let's say he, you, you saw the price on the bottom or whatever, and you say, oh, just, you know, you forget for a second, you say, oh, what's the price on that? He marks it up like 50%, and you know he's lying. And then you say, okay, wait a second. And then you say, you know, hey, where's your restroom? Because he lied about the price on something doesn't mean that he lied about where the restroom is. Right. Or in your case over there in Europe, the, the WC or the WC. <laughs> which you have to pay for, by the way. You right, which you have to pay, for, have to pay for. You know, that's that was the only reason why I ever went to McDonald's when I lived in Europe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they even have to do that there now. Oh, really? Have, yeah, because they, they actually uh, charge you or somebody actually buys their bathroom and then they char they maintain it and then right. they 
you have to pay them to use yeah, it. Yeah, I remember living in Europe, and then somebody would be standing there watching you use the bathroom. <laughs> he was like, oh, come on, really? You know, and then they would <laughs> give you some nice toilet paper, whatever. It's like, at least the bathrooms were usually clean, though, but it was like, okay. I, right, right. That's... They're always clean because they're, you have to pay for them. Right. So uh, let's see, fallacy, poison the well. But that's, you know, that's a really good and important fallacy to understand. Post hoc fallacy is another good one. Also known as a post hoc ergo propter hoc or false cause, questionable cause, confusing coincidental relationships with causes. And uh, A occurs before B, therefore A is the cause of B. And this goes into like the black cat thing. You well, know. this is actually really big with what's going on right now. Let's say you have somebody who's a pneumonia patient uh, and, or somebody has the flu or bronchitis and it's now it's, it's COVID-19. And let's say that, you know, they're elderly and they die from it. They just die from COVID-19, but it, it could be any number of things that aren't linked, you know, that they are dying from. And it's all now getting lumped into one thing because it's, you know, because this, then that it's like, it's there, it's correlation does not imply causation. Correct. But because they're, you know, because we're in a pandemic right now. And if you die of some kind of a lung issue, it must be COVID-19. Right. So, and then uh, Lobosier's example here. Suppose Jill, who is in London, sneezed and at the exact same time an earthquake started in California. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mu it must have been me. <laughs> a black cat crossed the path in front of a car. The car crashed. Therefore, the black cat caused the crash. Right. And uh, <clears throat> red herring fallacy. That's a great one. That's one of my favorites. Well, you know what? One of the first people to actually point that out uh oh my my internet connection is going down again uh-oh it's fine yeah yeah i hear you you hear me okay i'm back yes okay okay so uh joan of arc she was going to get tortured and they were going to torture the truth out of her and she said well you know it's going to be the uh it's going to be the torture speaking not me and that that points out oh man <laughs> what was the fallacy you were talking about just now red herring or the post talk no, Yes, the post hoc. Post hoc. All right. So, uh, well, you, know, you are getting thinking, tired. You, you need to. You need to start eating more fat. You know. <laughs> I, I every day, man. Eggs every day. All right. Well, um, you need to up your butter and your cholesterol levels. Your brain is clearly starved. <laughs> that or you're, you're starting to. You're starting to act like a hippie over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got. I get distracted. It's like ooh, shiny. Because. <laughs> I, my internet went down a little bit and I, it started it, a little thing displayed against the screen. What do they call that? But when anyways, you, they, when you they pass believe. through a doorway and, and, and as soon as you walk through a doorway, you forget what you were, you know, this is why when people go to get something in another room, they walk through a doorway and then they forget what they were going to get on the other side of the doorway. And I forget the official name for that, but it's kind of funny. I'm going to, I, I remember what I had to say. So let me. <laughs> no, Joan of Arc post hoc fallacy. Go ahead. Yes, uh, it's a torture speaking, right? And she said it's the torture speaking because they thought if I torture them and they, they confess, then that must mean that it's true. And so we're just going to torture you until you confess. It's, the two are correlating, but it doesn't mean that one is causing the other. Oh, it's phone. <laughs> I'm on air. And he's back. Yeah, sorry about that. My mom somehow forgets that I have a show every single Tuesday for like years now. <laughs> oh, good grief. Sorry so about I'm, that, I'm folks. That thing, so. What's that? 
I, I'm done with that uh, that fallacy. All right. That example. So red herring fallacy, and it comes from the old days when uh, the, 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 the hounds were taught how to hunt the fox. And uh, they would drag a fish, a red herring, across the trail to see if they could get the hound to follow the trail of the fish rather than keep after the fox. So it was known as the red herring fallacy. So, you know, you ask, you know, Joe Biden a question and he says, you know, uh, you're full of shit. I never said that. No, that's a bad example. He actually did say that, but <laughs> <laughs> and actually he, he, he did say what he was accused of saying and, and lied about it. But uh, so, you know, he'll, you know, let's say the politician would say, you know, when, rather than answering the question, you know, you want to ban all firearms and, and get rid of the Second Amendment. And then rather than answering the question honestly and directly, you know, when I was a boy, I was out on a fishing trip and I caught this big red fish. And, uh, you know, my grandfather sat there and he told me, you know, that's a really nice fish, son. You know, and, and then, uh, you know, so anyway, over to you, you know, and, and then it's like, wait a second. And, and, they'll, and they'll actually get you to think that they answered your question and they just leave you kind of befuddled. Right. And uh, that will be taken as, you know, the answer. But that's the red herring fallacy. And then it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a fallacy of relevance, correct? Uh, it would be a fallacy of relevance. Correct. So they're going to bring up something entirely irrelevant. So relevance, presumption and ambiguity. They're going to bring up something entirely irrelevant to uh, mislead you. So let's go up. What the heck? What, what did I just do here? Um, let's go fallacy. Here, informal fallacies. So info, informal fallacies, contradictions, lies, errors. And then, uh, you know, so the red herring fallacy, yeah, relevance. And then, you know, so people can look under here. Relevance, appeal to spite, bandwagon, character assassination, rapid fire technique. That's a that's a one that trolls like to use very commonly, and it's also tied to gaslighting and and whatnot. But the rapid fire technique is you present a truth, and then they'll just light the keyboard up. They'll type, you know, one or two words in every um, response to keep you so you know behind on on your responses that uh, that they overwhelm you, and and they use all these red herring. Uh, type arguments to mislead the the conversation um so straw man is another really good one and it's kind of similar to the to the uh red herring fallacy it's very closely related to it the straw man fallacy is committed when a person simply ignores a person's actual position and substitutes a distorted exaggerated or mis uh, mispresented misrepresented version of that position. So the media is doing this a lot. Right. So the red herring fallacy is going off onto another topic, okay? Here they're going to take your argument, they're going to twist it and reword it into something entirely different and then present that as your argument and then attack that false representation of your argument. This uh, happened a lot with the Kathy Newman interview of uh, Jordan Peterson. So what you're saying is, and then she would just come up with something really random and uh, you hate women. 
You know, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> well, and then, you, you know, the leftists who generally don't study logic, that's usually how you end up being a leftist in the first place, is, you know, they'll fall for all of this stuff. And the left is generally very, generally is very emotionally based in their thinking. So they get caught up in all this stuff. Oh, did he, did she just say he hates women? <gasps> You know, <laughs> right. it's like my cousin earlier today, you know, you know, she was all, you know, upset and, oh, everybody's attacking Nancy Pelosi because she's a woman and all this misogyny and, uh, you know, and the left usually breaks arguments down into uh, gender or making up dozens of genders or into race. So you disagree with an argument because you're a racist or because you're a misogynist. You know, so that's what she was doing. And then, oh, and this person, you know, they were even a woman who dared to attack Nancy Pelosi, and they're just spreading the woman hate. They're caught up in this. Well, how about Nancy Pelosi is just an evil, lying person and a socialist who's committed treason and sold us out, and, you know, that's reason enough. It's like, I don't hate Hillary Clinton because I'm a misogynist. I hate Hillary Clinton because she's a murderer and a, a committed treason and, you know, it provably committed fraud. And you have the uh, Tim Fenton trying to get his case going and she's trying to get the case thrown out of court and all this stuff. Hey, you know, another reason why they're blowing this COVID-19 thing up right now is because Hillary Clinton probably would have been drug out and forced to uh, forced under oath to talk about the the email server and and all of the stuff that she's done under oath so now huh i bet i bet that just kind of <laughs> falls away <laughs> so you know straw man fallacy is creating a false position of someone's argument and then a attacking your false creation as though it was the original argument and then uh two wrongs make a right well, you did that. Therefore, if I do it, it's okay. Two wrongs make a right fallacy is a fallacy in which a person justifies an action against a person by asserting that the person would do the same thing to him or her when the action is not necessary to prevent B from doing X to A. This fallacy has the following pattern of reasoning. One, it is claimed that person B would do X to person A. Two, it is acceptable for person A to do X to person B when A is doing X to B is not necessarily to prevent from B from doing X to A. You know, so it's the old, uh, you know, that person did it, you know, Bobby did it, so therefore it's okay if I do it type of thing, you know. And, you know, it's, it's then justified. Why don't you go into those uh, images that you sent me earlier? So we want to move past the fallacies into a rhetoric? Yes, Okay. Now that you're nice and tired. Right. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I was just waiting for you to get sleepy and then I was going to. Well, I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. Okay. So I'm sharing the screen now. So what we have is uh ons in the four stages of personal development. And this is um, something I picked up from a, a Ken Wilber and that doesn't mean I am endorsing Ken Wilber, but. Uh, holons is a thing where you transcend and include previous states of being. So for example, uh, molecules transcend and include atoms, cells transcend and include molecules, tissues transcend and include cells, and organs transcend and include tissues. So previous states of being 
are uh, contained within when you transcend it. So people like in the new age, they'll make this, uh, they'll say, I don't need logic. I've transcended it. Well, <laughs> right. Like I've, Oh, I've, I've heard that a thousand times. Yeah. And uh, well, okay, great. But actually if you've transcended something, it is included within it. So uh, understanding transcends knowledge and wisdom transcends knowledge and understanding. So it previous states of being is included in it. Um, you need knowledge in order to have understanding. You need knowledge and understanding in order to have wisdom. It just, you can't have it. So uh, with these four stages, you have the physical, the emotional, the rational, the moral, and the philosophical. So you, you first, you know, you, you're born and then you start to develop emotionally and then you develop rationally and then you start developing morally and philosophically. And each of these states is included in the previous state of being. Um, and let's see how this pertains to rhetoric. Where am I going to, oh, of course it doesn't let me go. Here we go. Okay, so the four stages of personal development, there you see them, the uh, physical, emotional, rational, the moral, and the philosophical. And then you have, uh, for rhetorical devices, um, physical force kind of beats everything. So I'm just going to use force. That would be the ad baculum fallacy, which is basically, I'm going to take a bat to you if you don't. Yeah, might makes right. Uh, but actually, there is a defensive use of force also. Um, as a rhetorical device, like, you know, if you're going to try to use aggression, then I have to be able to defend myself. But we'll, we're just going to focus on um, pathos, logos, and ethos. So as rhetorical devices, you have pathos, which is emotions, you have logos, which is logic, and you have ethos, which is your morality or ethics. So when you're looking at it from a trivium perspective, and you're using it correctly, uh, for pathos, you're going to be using empathy. So when you're creating your argument and you're actually disseminating your argument, um, you're going to have empathy included within your argument or within your, your position. It's not even an argument all the time. It's a, it's a position. It's a viewpoint. It's how you see things. It's your perception of it. And if it's going to, uh, to be a good perception, then it's going to be empathetic. And, but it's also really going to need to have logos, reason. You're going to have to have this, it's going to have to be a reasonable position. You're going to need to include reason in your, your discussion, your viewpoint, in order for it to be a robust, solid, uh, deep breadth, it's, you know, a, a wide, et cetera. Then for ethos, you're going to need morality and philosophy. That's um, real morality is going to be reasonable and it's going to be empathetic. And when you have philosophy, you're in your philosophy is it's going to have to be reasonable and it's going to have to be empathetic. Uh, so when you're giving a position, um, it's really the best when you're giving a position that is based in moral and philosophical. Uh, so for me, I do discuss, I don't discuss the science of say vaccinations. Um, that's not my strong suit. My strong suit is morality and philosophy. Now I do have reason in that I have studied the arguments. I have studied the science, I, but I'm not, a, uh, I'm not an authority on it. I'm not gonna claim to be an authority on it, but I have studied a lot of different things on that. Um, I've also, I have a good you know, emotional um, foundation within my own life. But when I'm making an argument about vaccines, I'm gonna be talking about how it's, it's immoral to force that on somebody without their consent. And it's gonna be immoral to 
not provide them the good, the right information for informed consent. You know, if the CDC is lying on their website about things, or uh, then somebody can't actually give their informed consent because they've been lied to, they've been tricked, they've been duped into thinking that this is something that's healthy. But and, but wait a second, groupthink and herd immunization. So therefore, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. So, um, well, just to, I'm just to throw this point in on, on your point. So herd immunity, well, you know, you're a threat to the herd if you don't get vaccinated. Well, if the rest of the herd is already vaccinated, how would I be a threat? Duh. Well, I, I've even actually heard that um, herd immunity is not, uh, does not come from vaccinations. There's never been any study on herd immunity from an immunization perspective. It's people getting sick and enough people getting the disease and getting through it is what provides herd immunity and vaccinations actually has not been tested ever. There's no scientific studies on vaccinations causing herd immunity, only people getting sick and getting the antibodies. Uh, so anyways, from a moral and philosophical perspective, I, I prefer uh, doing my arguments from there, discussing like, well, it's just, it's about informed consent. It's about uh, my right to my body. Um, this is my property. My body is my property from a, you know, a libertarian or a, a classical liberal perspective from a liberal perspective. When I say liberal, I'm talking about classical liberal, the writings of John Locke. Um, not, not, so, not liberal Marxism or socialism. No, 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 not, not neoliberalism. Um, so this is my body. I have the right to make decisions for my body because I'm a reasonable person. And I, you know, I looked up the reasons why I don't want to do it. And now I'm not going to do it because of those reasons. And I don't have to justify, you know, why I'm not going to do this um, to somebody. It's just, you can't force me. If I decide it's not a good idea because I've looked up the reasons and things like that, then that's my choice. And you can't force me to do that. You can't coerce me to do that. So that's where I, I try to hold my arguments is the moral and the philosophical. But with the art of rhetoric, uh, you have pathos is more in sympathy, shame, and guilt, and other appeals to emotion, appeals to pity, appeals to fear, uh, those kinds of things. So in their, their arguments, they're, uh, they're using pathos mostly with the art of rhetoric. And people who are skilled in the art of rhetoric is uh, like politicians, for example. Politicians, this is their job is to be you know rhetorical geniuses. But rhetorical geniuses and the fact that they uh, they know exactly how to play upon pathos and ethos, but they always conveniently leave out logos. They don't want to get into logos. They're just going to play on your emotions. And somebody who is used to having logos also, they're not going to be fooled by it. Um, and ethos, as an example, uh, oh, you don't like, you must hate people, or you may you must hate women because you're against abortion, or you must hate um, <laughs> right. Well, but aren't half of all aborted babies female? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you must, um, you, you don't want, you know, the government handling grain, so you must be against feeding people and, and you know, having farms. Or, you know, you, you, you prefer homelessness because you don't want the government help, taking care of homeless people. So they're, they're making a moral argument, but it's not based on logos. It's just, it's uh, just a moral a moral argument based on pathos. So ethos and pathos together minus the logos. And if they do have any kind of logos, it's just logical fallacy, fallacy after fallacy after fallacy. So that's the art of rhetoric. 
So when you're using the trivium and you're, you're trying to communicate it to somebody else, uh, when you're using the pathos and you incorporate that into your viewpoint, it needs to be based in empathy and not sympathy and not shame and not guilt and not pity and fear and those kinds of things. Um, you need to include good reasons. Why am I, you know, why do I believe this? Why do I think this is the right thing? And you're going to need to incorporate ethics, morality, and philosophy in there ethos i like uh ronald reagan's quote about abortion i've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born <laughs> right <laughs> so uh got any more you want to no that's that's my thing on um ethos uh or ethics and uh, emotions and logic. So right. we really need to make sure that we have that in our arguments. Um, but politicians and the left typically don't. And also, you know, I mean, there are some people on the right that don't do it too. I mean, especially if they're a politician. Yeah, well, you know, the goal of all of this is to at least help level the playing field so that people can see through it. You know, and maybe a small handful of people will survive this mass execution and uh, come out the other side with trivium. You know, start, you know, start everything again based on logic and the idea that reality is real and that you can know truth and start from there. But uh, we shall see. It's kind of uh, kind of crazy times. You know, it is. So uh, any questions? Anybody want to throw up any super chats in the uh, thing before we wrap it up here? I don't see any questions today. The only question I see, is there any of this in Spanish? I don't know about Spanish Trivium stuff. I've had my Trivium website up for a decade, triviumeducation.com, and I've put everything up there for, for free um, so that this could spread for years and years it's amazing how many people know the trivium now and don't know where it came from that's kind of cool when it gets to a point where it's just kind of critical mass critical mass and they forgot that you were the one that worked your ass off to get it out there in the first place you know (laughs) (laughs) and you know there were people before me who did it but we kind of popularized it a decade ago so gino denning and i Uh, let's see. Stephen Moss asked, does the guest have any knowledge of, uh, apagogy? No, not in the, what is it? Let me uh, look it up. (laughs) Yeah. Right. As we all scramble to look it up. Wait a second. That's a new word. Oh my God. (laughs) Apagogy. Yeah. Let's see. Epagogic of relating to or involving epagogy, especially proceeding by the method of disproving the proposition that contradicts the one to be established. Abductive logic. Abduction, sense three. I don't know what that is. Um, argument by the reducto ad absurdum. So are, are, is he talking about uh, using um, the redacto or redactio ad absurdum? 
Is that what he's saying? Uh, he didn't give any other information. He just said, sorry, LOL. <laughs> uh, reducto, reductio ad absurdium is in logic, uh, also known as argumentum ad absurdium, uh, is a form of argumentation that attempts to establish a claim by showing that the opposite scenario would lead to absurdity and contradiction or contradiction. So it's if you, you do it the opposite, you, it's completely absurd. Right. And that is, I do remember that is in uh, Leonard Peikoff's Introduction to Logic series, which is on the uh, Trivium Education website, which I do recommend people study. So if you go to the Trivium Education website under study materials, you'll find, uh, oh, let's see, Charlotte Isabet, Michael LeBosier, blah, 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 Peikoff, Introduction to Logic, audio order here. They used to only be like on audio cassette and you had to pay like $400 to get it. But now you can just download it, or at least you used to be able to. Yep, it's only 23 bucks now. It used to be 400 bucks. So Definitely recommend people go through that whole course, and it does have study notes and all with it. And that is from the Ayn Rand Institute. Yes, indeed, it is objective logic. So, you know, people will freak out. But Ayn Rand, oh, my God, I'm a hippie. And <laughs> she's a blah, 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 blah. And they'll use all kind of ad hominem attacks rather than studying it and going through the information first, which... Hopefully, this episode prevented you from doing before you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hopefully. So, uh, Stephen is just saying, I apologize. It's a, I apologize. It's apagogy. I apologize. <laughs> I think he's making, he's being punny now. So. <laughs> and then uh, lo uh, the logos is the word incarnate. That is true. As we've read John 1, 1 through 17, the last few episodes, I don't think we need to do it again tonight. I think people hopefully get that. I mean, every sermon should end with it, but, you know, we don't want them to know yet that the trivium is the Holy Trinity, do we? Oh, it is. <laughs> and people scoff at that idea. If you go all the way back when Gino Denning, uh, did the first episode, it was episode 49 with me back in the Gnostic Media Days a decade and six months ago this week. Um, he discussed how it was the Trinity as well. And in fact, there's a really good image of that somewhere. I won't show it right now, but, uh, you know, it's the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, grammar, logic, rhetoric, and, you know, it's like this, not this, all of that stuff. The old, uh, it's the shield from... What is it, Ephesians or Corinthians? Maybe I will show it really quickly here just to, uh, uh, let's see. I'll show it. All right. Let me see if I can find it here quickly. I know I had it up earlier. Ephesians 6, 6, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the spirit, which is the word of God. So there you go. And uh, here. So this uh, father, son, not, uh, the father is not, the son is not, Holy Spirit is not, and then God is, God is, God is. And grammar, logic, rhetoric, I know that's pretty small there for people to see, but is not, which is non-est in Latin, is not, non-est. And then uh, that is also the, 
<laughs> the shield right here. And uh, that is the shield, the, the trivium shield that is Father, Son, Holy Ghost, grammar, logic, rhetoric, etc. And it all comes full circle to logos or logic and reason and compassion and understanding and the foundation of Christianity, ironically. Anyway, I guess that's a good place to wrap it up. Thanks for watching, everybody. Hit the like and subscribe. Uh, hopefully you survive the next week for next week's show. And I may do a short show tomorrow with uh, Dr. Tanya Yoni, who's uh, doing a running a COVID-19 clinic uh, here locally. Wanted to discuss that. Hasn't seen any patients yet, interestingly enough. But uh, we shall see what's going on with that. So find out in the next day or so. Thank you very much for having me on the last four weeks. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun for me and very, uh, uh, really good practice. I appreciate you coming on too. And you're a joy to talk to and the audience likes you too. Some people have said you're the best guest I've had. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to hash this stuff out and, you know, help bring people to critical thinking and... Whatnot. I know it's hard for a lot of people. Most people who've never studied critical thinking think they know critical thinking. And when you show them that they don't, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to admit it. And one of the biggest parts of learning the trivium is being able to admit when you're wrong, when new information comes in and reviewing right. that information before you determine its validity. They're, they're teaching people how to be sophists and argument arguers really in universities now and uh being a sophist in arguing is not you know a collaborative thinker and somebody who's trying to actually discover truth they teach this crap here yeah that's what they teach how to argue this is what hillary kill killary clinton did her college thesis on this little book right here yep. she is a pro at this satanic sophistry so I haven't, let's see, where did I get in this book? I haven't finished. I've been thinking about doing a whole dedicated show on this book. Maybe I should have you back for this. I've only gotten to page 27 in this book. It's just such. You can get it online for free as well. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. socialist gobbledygook, and it makes it hard for me to want to uh, <laughs> read it. But, yeah, you know, maybe sometime soon we should do a whole show just dedicated on this. And I think Sargon of Akkad just did a. An episode on this book recently. Rules. Yeah. Go through the rules. You don't have to do it on the book. Just do it on the rules. Correct. And uh, anyway, tactics. See, it breaks it all down. Uh, makes you want nasty to puke. Stuff. Yeah, nasty stuff. The genesis of tactic proxy. And, you know, these guys are always going to accuse the other person of what they are doing. And you see the left constantly doing that stuff. Well, it's, it is an inversion. It's an inversion of reason. Correct. It's an inversion of being reasonable. The whole thing, Rules for Radicals, is we are going to be as unreasonable as possible, and we are going to be Machiavellian in every way possible. And the inversion of reason is uh, the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. If you have, if logocentrism and reason is synonymous, and it is, you know, Christian and Christ, then the Antichrist is this stuff. Rules for Radicals is, you know, the spirit of Antichrist flowing all through it. And the that's high reason. And that's why it opens with a quote. 
About Lucifer. About yeah. Lucifer, like we showed at the beginning, right there again. If it gets in focus, there it is. There you go, right at the very beginning of the book. Saul Linsky talking about the first radical, Satan. So there you go, all you Satanists that use that crap and don't even know you're Satanists. But you are, even if you don't know it. All right, so good night, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to participate and watch tonight. Again, hit the like and subscribe, logosmedia.com. Please send your donations and support. Can't do it without you. We'll try to figure out something to uh, do this week. Might have Greg back on as well. We had him on on Sunday, and we'll uh, take it as it comes. Who knows? We might not even all exist next week at this freaking rate with their, the crazy going on. Now that we're living in uh, under the Gestapo and total tyranny, so and everybody just succumbed to it. Yeah, hey, you know, there's a virus. We got to give up all of our rights. That's it. It's like Rapunzel, man. Rapunzel, she was uh, kept up in the tower by the witch, saying it's too scary. It's too scary out there for you. You can't go out. <laughs> yeah, there's bad people that want to hurt you. In this case, there's a bad virus that wants to hurt you. Right there, you go. Well said. Well put. All right. Good night. Good night, everybody. See you next time.